All right. So, Sam, I'm so excited you're able to call in. Thank you for joining me today. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, yeah. So, folks, um, I'm actually talking with Samantha Cook, uh, who goes by Sam, author of, well, The Clearing, and we'll talk about other projects in your life. Um, So, Sam, can you go ahead and tell people a little bit about who you are and just sort of ground them so they have a sense of what you're doing with your life? Yep. So, I'm a fantasy author. Um, and uh, fantasy, including sort of dystopian and uh, other similar things. I'm also a book reviewer and I do developmental editing for young adult fantasy projects. And that's all in my spare time because from a full time job, I'm actually a editor for medical books. Wow. Oh, you didn't mention that earlier. I'm actually curious about that big time. Yeah, I should say editorial assistant, actually, not an editor. But I mean, I do do some editing stuff. So, okay, awesome. Thank. Well, well, you know, I this reminds me back in like, oh gosh, I think it was two thousand twelve or thirteen or something. I was in um, uh, this really cool program developed for um, this professional development program for writers put on by Artist Trust in the Seattle area. And one of the things that they really talked about the entire, you know, eight week period was the writing life and the idea that the writing life is not like this limited solo. This is all I do. A lot of times uh, the writing life means that you are broadly scattered, you know, throughout the world of writing and doing dipping your toes into lots of little puddles. So you're you got lots of toes dipping. Yeah, so I'm kind of glad you said that because, um, yeah, I've always really wanted to just work in publishing and I wanted to write books and be a part of that world. Um, but I know it's also kind of hard to get in directly. It's not like you just write a book and it all happens. So, yeah, I made sure that my job was to do with publishing, that I'm always writing, that I'm always reading. And, yeah, when I get the chance, I'm also editing, which is probably what I have the most fun doing. And they, well, like it's often discussed in writer circles that the great book begins with the editing. You got to yeah, write I it, think, you um, know, and then you got to edit it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's hard enough to get the whole book out, but um, I find I probably spend more time editing than I do with the writing process. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. No, I, I imagine there are thousands of heads right now in the world that are nodding up and down and some grimaces as well yeah I mean it's the part I look forward to because uh getting a whole book out is kind of the daunting part but Ah. once you've already got something to work with then you you know you're good you you can keep making it better and better and better the hardest bit is letting go of it at the end ah yeah okay right first of all I'm thinking you're one of those people yeah (laughs) (laughs) a lot of us are like no I just want to have fun writing and pretend it's perfect after the first draft but (laughs) it's true the editing. Oh, let's just play here. Let's just have some fun here because, oh my gosh, there's so much. So um, what are your thoughts around what's realistic for a person to expect in the editing phase? I think it's more about giving yourself the time to get away from the project and then coming back to it with a fresh mind because you can edit and edit and edit and make a a book that's over edited and it doesn't actually read very well anymore Mm -hmm. but if you give yourself a little bit of time away from the project and then come back to it that's sort of when you can really make the changes you know with a fresh mind well and I've been working on my novel series for 10 years so definitely spreading it out 
has been something oh, yeah. I've done. Yeah. <laughs> so you started, the, let's see, the, the book that you sent to me for me to take a look at is The Clearing. That was actually how I sort of discovered you. In fact, I discovered you through Right Mentors. Um, so let's talk a little bit about Right Mentors because I want more people to know about it. I don't know what exactly you have coming up like in the next few months, but my impression is I think what they have an annual springtime thing. I want to make sure people have advanced notice about that. Tell us about Right Mentors. Yeah, so Right Mentor is a great scheme. It's completely free um, and it's for writers, aspiring authors to submit their manuscripts um, to a bunch of mentors who then pick somebody to work with. Um, and then you spend the whole summer working with that person. And at the end, there's even an agent round uh, where the project gets pitched to loads of agents. But to be honest, it's more about that pairing of a mentor with a author um, and those two working together to, um, well, kind of both improve your writing. Yes, absolutely. And that was the, the one I got introduced to was it was like a pitch event in the spring focused on a summer program so that once you were paired up with someone, you, there was a significant period of time that like several months that you would have to work on um, them helping you elevate your game, so to speak. Um, is there anything else like another, is there an annually occurring thing outside of the spring slash summer program? Uh, I think they do do other things, but, um, the only bit that I'm really involved in is with that bit. I Got was it. a mentee myself, um, a couple of years ago, um, mm -hmm. with a different book, uh, from the one that was published and, um, yeah, so it's quite nice for me to come back as a mentor once my book got published and, you know, help give back because the, everyone's giving their free time for this project as well. It's, um, you know, it's, it's not a paid gig. It's, um, it's people giving their free time. So mm -hmm. I was really keen to give back. Let's talk about the pitch over Twitter aspect of it a little bit to make sure people understand that. I just said pitch event earlier, assuming people would know what I was, where I was going so the whole the whole pitching thing i think in in the beginning you have to read through all the mentors blogs and see what they want um and then you apply to i think about four mentors you're allowed to apply to um and then if you get chosen uh you you work with the mentor for a couple of months and then right at the end is the agent round where you put forward your pitch and your new first chapter and um, all the agents sort of read through them and uh, give out requests to the ones that they want to work with. And it was very active on Twitter, but you actually don't have to be on Twitter. You can, yeah. you can actually do it through their website, but it was just over in the Twitter verse. It was just being talked about like crazy and everyone was all like chatty chatty about it, right? Yeah, so there was a lot of sharing about it on Twitter. It's, you know, how, how we find new people, how we can like answer questions and things um but I think there's a really good understanding at Right Mentor about um mental health of authors and trying not to sort of um share too much about winning and losing those types of things how many requests you get we try to keep it sort of away from that because we know that authors can really struggle when they see other people doing well and them not doing so well because mm -hmm. um, there's quite a lot of pitching contests out there so yeah we kind of like advertise a lot on Twitter, but um, 
a lot of the other stuff's sort of taken away from Twitter so that it's, uh, I don't know, less public, I guess. Their verbiage and their openness about being very blunt that this is a positive experience. They were like, we're all about supporting one another and, and we, you know, don't be stressed because here's all the reasons why you shouldn't be stressed. And so you're, there was amazing caretaking going on. I was very impressed. So for people who feel that it's going to have like some Las Vegas competitive win-lose, ding, 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 ding. No, does not do that at all. It was so emotionally healthy to be involved in the right mentor process. But I did find out about it like a little bit later than I would have wanted to. So that's why I like being able to talk about it now and encourage people to just look it up and explore, get it on your calendar, you know, be aware in advance. But um, yeah, yeah, it was great. I'm so glad you were able to go through that process on both sides of the table, so to speak. Um, did you like learn anything or have any aha moments that you want to share with us? Yeah, I think uh, as a mentee, I learned a lot. And I mean, I think at first I just learned that, hey, there's someone out there who actually thinks I should be published too. It's it's, it's quite a nice feeling because before yeah. that, you're just sort of querying and getting rejected. So it's very nice to sort of get some acceptance. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think my my mentor mainly at the time, she just encouraged me more to trust myself and um yeah perhaps enjoy writing a little bit more and um feel a bit um prouder of what I had accomplished Mm -hmm. um so I think there was a lot of um support that wasn't just you know I've fixed all your commas or whatever um or you should do more (laughs) of this there there was a lot of encouragement (laughs) and a lot of explaining the publishing sort of process uh so it yeah it's just a positive experience all around really I keep thinking, you know, when I, when I'm going to be writing my query letters, which I've written a whole bunch over the last few years and, and always sort of changed them and, and, but I haven't sent them out yet because I knew the book wasn't ready. If I got like, you know, I want to make sure if I got a request for a full or whatever, that I would very confidently be like, yes, I have it sitting right here. And I hadn't quite gotten to one that I felt that confident about. But I've been working on my query craft, so to speak. And I have to say that that I really appreciate what you just said about the that feeling of someone has your back and actually believes in you. Because I think instead of looking at queries as um, like that win lose thing or that, you know, you're, you're almost, almost like I'm going to try to trick someone, you know, into wanting my book or something. A lot of times people come at it from a vulnerable self doubt position. And for me, I'm like, you know, I'm looking for a team. I'm looking for someone who's going to really believe in what I'm doing and my goals and be excited about it and want to develop my career. And they're going to bring in people they like. And I just am looking forward to having this cadre of people who were like, yes, this is great, March. Keep writing this and here, let's some suggestions to make it better. So to me, I feel like I feel less stress when I perceive myself as seeking a team. Does that make sense? Yeah. I mean, I, I feel the same sort of way that it it's just more about just finding the right person who's there to like champion your project alongside you. That's sort of really what I would want from an agent. So tell us about the team that helped you bring the clearing into fruition. 
Yeah, so I I spent a lot of time querying this. Um, yeah, I spent a lot of time uh, querying the clearing and um, <laughs> querying. Yeah, the clearing. <laughs> yeah, that's a, I've never tried to say that before, and now I've yeah, realized no. I can't. <laughs> tell me a yeah. little bit when it comes to the clearing. Tell me a little bit about the team that helped you bring that forward. Yeah, so I spent a long time sort of looking for an agent for this project and I got really close a couple of times and after a while it just seemed like it was never going to happen. So I kind of actually put it on the back burner for a while. Um, And then I just found a publisher who looked absolutely perfect for the clearing and I thought, well, why not? I'll take it out, dust it off a bit, send it off. I mean, what's the worst that can happen Right. And um, yeah, they they quite quickly said yes to it. And it was kind of all away from there. It just it all happened all at once. Um, and yeah, it was it was really exciting. Um, I think the editor as well at the press um, I'm published with Ever 19. Um, she did a really fantastic job and she really enjoyed the story genuinely as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and she even made my book a editor's pick at the end of it because, you know, it was one of like her favorite books that she worked on that year. Um, so, yeah, no, I yeah, I've really enjoyed the whole sort of process. That's Audrey um, Boback, just... right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Awesome. It all, all sort of happened a lot quicker than I thought. I thought it was going to you know, I never knew that it was going to come out the same year as that I signed the contract. I, I thought it was going to take a lot longer, but um, no, they were quite efficient. It was, it was good. That is brilliant. Not to mention, I mean, you know, you had worked on it for a while, so you weren't bringing them something that was super, super rough, I'm assuming. Oh yeah, no, it, it's been through tons of beta readers. I've edited it several times over several years. Um, At one point, I was sort of gearing up to maybe self-publish it, which is why there were quite a few reviews from 2015 from um, Goodreads reviewers. Uh, But I decided to sort of hold on to it for a bit longer in the end. So, yeah, I think I sent them what I feel is quite a clean manuscript. Yeah, I always love looking at the um, dedications and the acknowledgments. I love this is this is one of my favorite dedications, to be honest. I mean, they're always sort of like one day I'm going to have to write a dedication, I believe. And I'll be like, ah, <laughs> the pressure. But um, this is so sweet, you know, and to my husband, Sam, and your Sam, I love it. Sam and Sam. Yep. <laughs> um, you are all I need to get through the darkest of forests. I just thought that was super cool. Yeah. Yeah. I quite like it. Yeah. I'm quite happy with that. Yeah. Well done. Yeah. Is, um, I was thinking about it for quite some time because I knew I wanted to dedicate it to him, but then I just didn't know what to say and I didn't want to just put to Sam. Yeah. Um, and yeah, and after thinking about it for a while, I just thought that's, you know, he is, he is all I need. Yeah. And, and life has its ups and its downs and the people who can be there solid, you know, by our side when we're in a down moment. And then when we're in an up moment, maybe they're down, we can be there with them. And yeah, that's partnership. Yeah. I mean, especially because he's, so he's read this book in various stages. Mm-hmm. Um, he's not really the best um, critic. He usually just sort of nods and goes, oh, it's good. I enjoyed that. Um, and I was sort of like trying to get no 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 but tell me how I can be better (laughs) and um, yeah he can never quite get there but at the same time it's quite nice to just have somebody you know who's there just to support you and say actually no no this is good you know Mm -hmm. you're doing well keep going 
which as you said, so it says here, I think it's Carla Lewis was your uh, mentee with Right Mentor. Uh, yeah, no, she's my mentor. Yeah. Oh, right. Sorry. She's your mentor. Exactly. Yeah. She's and she chose you as the mentee. Oh, I got yeah. the or E wrong. <laughs> but um, yeah, 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 yeah. Anyways. Okay. So you had, you had mentioned something about, um, let's see, this is with a publishing company. So they, they have the responsibility for cover art and text style and, and all that. That was on them? Yeah, so they designed the cover. Um, yeah, they edited it and set it. And um, yeah, they did all those kind of bits. It's really cool. I mean, the cover is really interesting artwork. And it is, um, it's, I like the back. I mean, I like the front, don't get me wrong. But there's something <laughs> about the colors of the the back. And it, it really augments. Sometimes the back feels like it's just there because it, it has to be there. But you have like different people in the back. Oh, no, it's the same. It's just I didn't see it through the words. Ah, but the color is different. Anyways, very cool. People, this is um, this is an easy book to pick up and probably enjoy over a weekend. It's not a giant, you know, tome, um, but it's also not so thin that you feel like it's just going to be over too fast. You said, Sam, that you are potentially planning a sequel. Yeah, so when I first set out to write it, I kind of felt like it was done and dusted at the end. Mm -hmm. um, there were quite a few twists throughout, so it's kind of hard to talk about it. But um, yeah, when you get to the end, I kind of felt like that was kind of like the point of what I was doing. Um, but then I found that a lot of readers just really wanted to know what was going to happen next. Mm -hmm. um, and I think because my main character, Ruby, she does go through quite a journey and she does learn quite a lot. So it would be very interesting to explore okay, now she's, you know, taken all the, what she's learned to the, uh, where she's going next. Right. Um, and how, you know, she can turn that back on the world that she's in. So I think I would like to explore a sequel. And I've got quite a lot of it sort of written. I just haven't committed to actually writing it yet. Right, 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 right. And I think there's a feeling sometimes of a character uh, faces a huge issue and there's <clears throat> if a character faces a huge issue and there's like very specific stakes and then if they resolve that on one hand I think when we're writers we're sort of like okay well we want them to coast for a while <laughs> <You know? laughs> they had to get through all that um, and what's the point of getting through all that if just a new problem crops along it's almost like don't they deserve for that to be like like to get a break but then you watch something on Netflix and it's like you know, oh, they got a break. Ooh, new evil creature shows up. Oh, they resolve that. Bam, new emergency. So I guess it's okay to have serial emergencies. Yeah, and I think it would work for this book. I, I think I would want to write a duology. I wouldn't want it to go on further than that. Mm -hmm. um, because like where Ruby ends up at the end and all and the amount that she's changed, I think there is a position for her to have a sequel. Um but the sequel would definitely end the series for me. And mm -hmm. it will be yeah, just those two books. And that would be how I want it. Yeah. Okay. As you said, it has spoilers. Um, but we got to tell some, tell people what the book is roughly about. And I believe you said that it is in the genre of dystopia. Yeah. So it's a bit of a genre mash. Um, mm -hmm. It is dystopian and it has a very dystopian feel to it. 
Um, but it's also that that the setting is that um, Ruby is in a village run by psychics, so it's also got that sort of paranormal feel to it as well. Yeah. Um, so I could call it fantasy, but that's a bit broad. I've always had trouble sort of pinning down one sort of topic for well, it. Well, and there's an assumption that psychic powers are fantasy and not real. And there are a lot of people who think that. And then there are all sorts of, I mean, you know, there are people who have like incredible experiences that they relate to being in connection with God. Well, maybe they were in connection with God or maybe they were having a psychic experience, you know. So really when it comes to paranormal, supernatural, all these things, I don't think you have to be feeling forced into fantasy if you bring those about into your world, because we're still as a species trying to figure out really what we're capable of. So sure, it's in the future, it's dystopian and you got psychics. I like it. Yeah, I think that's a good like way of describing it, you know. Yeah. So what happens? What can you tell us about the book? Um, so I can tell you that Ruby lives in a village run by psychics. Um, it's believed to be the last surviving village, although Ruby doesn't think so. And she ends up challenging the uh, village's sort of strict ways. Um, the village just wants her to settle down and have children and carry on generations. Um, but she wants to explore more of life and try to find other settlements. Um, and she gets into some pretty deep trouble and when the psychics sort of save her from that trouble, she gets kind of an inflated sense of her future importance. And she starts taking even riskier decisions um, to the point where she starts to think maybe the psychics weren't on her side after all. So I think that's where I'll leave it. Okay. <laughs> it's making me think a little bit of, I think it's called The Giver. Yeah, so I read a lot of dystopian books around the time I started writing it, and that was definitely one of them. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Creepy, creepy, creepy. Ha, 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 ha. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm not going to give anything away. Lips are sealed, people. Super glue applied. Okay. All right, moving on. Um, so you and I chatted about this in the pre-chat a little bit. I had um, another woman involved with Right Mentor. And she joined me on the show uh, recently. She's also from the UK. And you and she both have a little bit of this element, which I'm thinking might be based in having grown up in the UK schooling system, where around, I think it's around grade 10, uh, kids are sort of asked to choose like a path or a direction forward, which sort of like closes some doors while opening some others. And both her and you have sort of um, had elements in your story of youth who are saying, I don't want to be told right now at this age so soon in my life that like a bunch of options are going away and I'm just supposed to settle in and do this for the rest of my life. And I had asked, you know, my other guests and I'm asking you sort of whether you, how you feel about that effect of the um, the education system, which is obviously designed for good, it's designed to be beneficial. But how does that feel at such a young age to have people asking you to know yourself well enough to be able to predict what you're going to want to be doing for decades to come? Yeah. So you yeah you mentioned this earlier, and um, it's kind of strange because I never really thought of it that way. 
but it is it is quite true that we we do have to sort of like pick and go on a certain path quite early on and for me that was sort of okay because I always knew I wanted to be an author but at the same time I knew that I needed sort of a backup plan because you, know, <laughs> you can't really guarantee that you'll ever be good enough to be a um just an author um so I ended up sort of en- like choosing a lot of sciencey subjects and I ended up studying psychology instead as sort of my backup but I always ended up going back to sort of writing and I'm now working in publishing and nothing to do with psychology um but I think there is that sort of pressure to sort of choose early on and it's definitely um prominent in my book I'd say that you know Ruby's doing a lot of the things that she's doing because she's been told it needs to be one way but you know she still wants to explore more of life and she's not quite ready mm-hmm. so yeah it is a big part of uh yeah the book you know sometimes I think people in America know about the UK through Harry Potter and then um maybe um Agatha Christie I don't know <laughs> <laughs> and I did grow up on all creatures great and small that that is an that is a, my first introduction to um, Britain. But it was interesting because I was so shocked at the idea that, you know, in 10th year, you would be asked something like that just because over here you've got what 9, 10, 11 and 12 is just high school. And literally they're just sort of like bounce all over the place, do whatever you're interested. Maybe now STEM has become a thing. But even so, it's just just get your high school diploma. And then when you go into college over here, it's four years. It's just basic classes. Everyone's got to do the same stuff, more history, more poli sci, more this. And even then, you're not being asked to make some final decision. And then you're like 20 and you're a junior and they're like, all right, pick a major and a minor. And you're 20 when you're being asked this instead of being like 15 or 16. So what are your thoughts about that experience at that age? I'm personally very curious. Yeah, it does sound quite different now that you put it that way. I mean, I grew up watching a lot of American TV, so I sort of know the basic structure. (laughs) Um, But yeah, I mean, I always struggled because I wanted to choose stuff that would help me be a better author. But I also knew that I would be it'd be easier for me to get a job in psychology. So I ended up sort of choosing um yeah, sort of some sciencey options. And then I sort of slipped in um, GCSE drama for a little bit. Um, but I always felt like I should have been sort of picking the more academic type options rather than the ones that people would consider a bit more fun. Mm-hmm. So I ended up having to drop a lot of the things that I did enjoy. Hmm, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> That's <all> right. <laughs> well, now psychology, though, to be honest, every time from the first time you mentioned it, my first thought was, dang, that actually could really help a writer because it's all about the psychology of the character. I mean, why do they do what they do, right? How has that um, played in, do you think? Oh, yeah, that's definitely one of the reasons why I find it fascinating, just like why do people do certain things certain ways Um, and all these sort of amazing things that can sort of happen to people, um, which I don't know, might seem quite normal, like... um, well, not normal. I was going to say hallucinations, not exactly normal. <laughs> but um, I write a lot of fantasy, but you can like base it quite well in uh, mm-hmm. a lot of the things that you learn about in psychology. Mm-hmm. And one of the things I loved about psychology is that I could choose a range of subjects. I didn't need to just focus in on one particular thing. Right. So I did like visual cognition and art. 
um, and things like sleep. And um, I think the other thing I did was speaking and reading. So I looked at like how people process language. And so I think even though I chose psychology, I still try to make it sort of fit around um, my dreams of being an author and working in publishing still. Yeah, absolutely. You know, um, I didn't, we'll talk, I'm, I'm going to go in another direction in a second, but I didn't actually ever really, I don't remember thinking I want to be a writer. I knew I loved editing all of my friends' writing. All of my friends would bring me their papers. And I, and my mother had her first degree was, I believe, in English. She was going to be like an English teacher or something. And then she went on and got a couple other degrees. But um, she would do that for me. And I think and my dad actually was an editor. Huh? But, you know, so I enjoyed writing, but I never in my head ever thought, I want to be a writer. And later when I got into college, and I got through my first two years of basic classes. And, and then you're like, based upon those basic classes, what did you find yourself drawn towards? And I was like, well, I really love history. And I really love psychology. And then I started thinking about sociology. So once again, if you think about it, right, those three go together so nicely. The psychology is sort of figuring out the individual. The sociology is what happens when a bunch of people are affecting each other. And then the history is literally your record of human psychology and sociology through the ages. And that all just happened, like, just because I was interested in the topics. And later I thought, well, those all play together really nice in informing my current writing. So I, I do love, I think, I think life, if we are just allowed to follow your passion, later you'll find out that a passion you were following was super valuable. It just took 12 years to get to the point where you really were going to apply it maybe. This might be a good time to ask about your inciting incident and what it was that allowed the clearing to be created in your thoughts. Yeah, so it was... Uh, would have been about 10 years ago now. Um, so when I was doing um, an A-level in language, uh, language and literature, I was studying a lot of dystopian fiction. And I think it was also the time where Hunger Games had come out, but the other two books hadn't come out yet. Mm -hmm. So it was all starting to get really, really popular. So it was all in my mind when I was working on the book. Um, but one of the things that sort of inspired me to start writing is... Um, the character of Ruby herself, I wanted her to sort of think she was the next Katniss Everdeen, um, but through the journey of the book, learn that actually it's it's really quite difficult to get change to happen. And it's, um, you know, you don't just pick up a bow and suddenly be able to fire it. Sometimes you need the help of your friends and your family, and you need to learn how to sort of navigate the world too. Um, mm -hmm. So that was something that sort of inspired me quite a bit. Right. Oh, I like it. So you're, you sort of went, you, you took your character in like a different direction than Katniss Everdeen ended up going. Yeah. So I just, I wanted her to start off really quite naive. And I think I achieved that because I've had people tell me that, oh, I've been, you know, I found Ruby a little bit annoying at the beginning. Um, <laughs> but, you know, she's, she's just quite naive. She's quite reckless. But the whole, sort of journey that she takes out the book she sort of learns so much and I found that quite enjoyable to write um to have events happen to her and for them to change her quite drastically mm -hmm. and it's YA 
Yeah. 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 Young I think adult. it suits it quite well. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, it, it's, it's interesting. I have, um, uh, I will sometimes have authors who will say to me, yeah, I'm not sure you're going to like her or him, you know, initially, but that's what sets the character up for the opportunity to have a change and a, and a growth arc. Um, you know, for some people, they might have found Katniss Everdeen to be sort of humorous or wry or tough when she, you know, talks about, you know, trying to drown the little kitten that her, you know, sister saves that ends up being the cat through the story. But um, but other people, especially if they're like super animal lovers, they might have instantly just thought Katniss was horrible and they couldn't stand her, you know. But, um, you know, it's not a character's job to be appealing to every reader. No, and I actually thought that um, Ruby, I don't know, that she wouldn't be liked as much as she was. Um, I think when I first started posting up uh, snippets of this book uh, quite some time ago, I actually found that a lot of teens really just connected with her in a way that I thought they wouldn't. I I kind of wanted them not to like her at the beginning, but I found a lot of people just found her spirit quite endearing, perhaps. Mm-hmm. No, that makes sense. And you're no longer a teenager. So our ability no. to completely remember um, what attracted us at that age is is going to be more memory than current reality. Yeah, although I do still read a lot of young adult fiction. And yeah, I still in, enjoy it a lot. There's, there's a certain type of magic you get in uh, young adult fiction that I just don't feel the same way about adult fiction. Nowadays, sometimes I'll pick up something that's in that YA shelf at the library and I'll flip through it and I, I'm, I just feel like they've really sort of controlled it in a limiting fashion in some ways. Yeah, I think that's kind of interesting because um, I think I ended up reading quite a lot of uh, adult fantasy books as when I was younger. Um, there wasn't too much young adult stuff. And I kind of felt like the young adult stuff was like too young for me, even when I was of that age. Mm-hmm. Um, but now I'm older and I'm, I don't really think about it as much. I just think about, oh, I want to enjoy this book, so I'll read it and mm-hmm. enjoy it that way. Um, but I do think there is, um, I, I know this is a problem in young adult fiction that for some of them, they're written to a too high age group um, because of all the adults who are still buying from that sort of age absolutely right I know right I've heard that recently where they're like as people say well we want to have some sex in you know in YA and other people are like no keep it out of YA and I'm like really is that a conversation we need to have okay I guess I mean I don't know that it makes sense because you have genre expectations but um I know oh and then you have new adult ah yeah like that sort of came, went, is coming back, struggling to survive, gasping like a fish on the edge of the of the water. I mean, it, it's been very interesting watching all of this. It makes me realize just how very much alive the world of publishing is and how very much a extension of humanity that it is. Oh, yeah, definitely. And I also really don't know what's going on with New Adult either. Right? A lot of us wish we knew. There are a lot of people who want to write, my book was designed to be New Adult. It's a an 18-year-old protagonist who is about to fly across the Atlantic to Boston to go to Harvard University, and then she discovers that 
the ghost world, far from being imaginary or ethereal, is way more in control of what's going on in the real world and dominating the planet than anyone would ever imagine. And they want to kill her. So like, poof, what's going to happen next? So that was just like she's going into her college age, you know, and this is totally new adult. <sighs> and I don't even know if new adult still exists. Yeah, no, it's, it's a bit difficult. It's all sort of like merged together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. So let's see. You said you've been reading a whole bunch and you also do reviewing. And I really want to get into that because I think, I think there's a lot of interesting stuff to talk about when it comes to the value of reviews how people can sometimes do really a lot of harm when they're a malicious reviewer. And um, and then the way that offering reviews help out our authors who we love and can also help us as authors build a bit of a platform and all these other things it does. So tell me how you got into deciding to offer your thoughts on books in the form of a review. Yes, I think um, at a certain point I realized that if I want to be an author, I'm going to have to read more books um, and not only read them, but really try to understand why they're good or why they don't work. Um, so I, I started up my blog um, where I just posted some reviews of some recent books that I've read and then tried to keep up with it. And I really do enjoy sort of reading critically about stuff. I think I'm quite a slow reader, but I like to think a lot about what I'm reading and how it works and why it works and why it's good at the same time. Mm -hmm. um, so I do find that when I write reviews, they do tend to have sort of a developmental edge to them, um, which I, I don't know how useful it is for someone looking to buy the book, but I find that it's really useful for someone who has also already read the book to look and then see what they think as, as well. Um, it's kind of a weird thing because like reviews do really help authors. It's uh, what we want. We want people to read our books and leave reviews and it's super helpful. Um, but when I'm writing reviews, I tend to go quite in depth past perhaps what a uh, sort of potential reader would want. I don't know if you end up doing this, but when you um, really, really are enjoying a book, you might go on to like Goodreads and then read a couple of reviews to see how other people sort of took the same things as you did. That tends to be when I read them. Oh, right. <laughs> you know, I, I don't actually mid-read compare. I haven't actually really, I think, been drawn to do that, although I can totally see why a person would want to. I think for me, I have this love-hate relationship with reviews because two reasons. One is it's sort of like um, Rotten Tomatoes. They say they're going to review a movie. Do you have that over in the UK? Uh, yeah, it comes up occasionally on the search engine. Okay, I'm sure you have your own version of our Rotten Tomatoes. You know, and and in particular, I have to say the only movie where I that lived up to the hype was the Titanic. I had become so sort of, basically I would read reviews about movies. They were supposed to be amazing and awesome or something, let's say. And I'd be like, oh, I'm going to go check that out. And I think it was my own fault that when you read reviews that are raving about something, that raises your sense of expectation. You're wanting to walk out of that theater completely wowed and in your mind blown. And then you walk out, and if you hadn't read the reviews, you'd be like, oh, it was a good movie. But because you read the reviews and then it was a good movie instead of a smashing success, 
you end up feeling disappointed. And that I think is a complete psychological game thingy that happens inside my own brain. And I don't like the effect of it. So that's sort of my hate relationship with reviews, if that makes sense. Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, I find I, I prefer to read reviews after I've read a book to see just what other people thought. After. Exactly. Yeah. After. Not not before. Yeah. And then the other thing I noticed when I started recently, I was like, okay, you know, I I have all these amazing authors that are coming on my show and I want to go ahead and add this element to sort of what I do, which is to write reviews for the books for the authors that join me on the show. I mean, it logically makes sense. It's a perfect segue. And so the first, wow, I don't know if you heard that. My stomach just growled. <laughs> no, no, I didn't hear that. In case that was audible. <laughs> okay. So mm-hmm. I have this really interesting experience and I want to know your, your thoughts on it. It was this really great book and I was ready to write my review of it. And then I went to Goodreads and I looked up the book and I thought to myself, because I'm a little bit new to doing reviews. And I thought, you know what? When I thought I understood how to do like, you know, pit mad or something on Twitter and I got it wrong, I had a bunch of people got really, really mad at me, even though my intentions had been golden and I really thought I was copying what everyone else was doing. I got one thing wrong and just got shredded by some really angry people. And I Mm. thought... I don't want to make that mistake. I'm going to go read a bunch of reviews on this on a book that I like. See what all these other people are focusing on. What is it that they think is worthy of putting into a review? What might a reader expect from a review? Right? I'm going to educate myself. I was shocked and I want to know your opinion on what's going on. There were a bunch of people who had clearly been sent ARCs, which are advanced reader copies, folks. And in exchange for a review. And these people, when they wrote their review, did one of two things. They either basically just spoiled the whole book by saying, this is what happened, blah, 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 blah. And they didn't really give like a personal slant or opinion or insight. It was just sort of like, this is what the book did. Or they demeaned the book very harshly, were incredibly critical, And then they would say things like, I couldn't even get past, you know, chapter two. The book's horrible. And they just smeared it. And I was like literally like my jaw hanging open, aghast as I'm watching. I read over and over and over more and more reviews because I really wanted to find something good. And that was what I found was those two categories. Tell me a little bit about why this is happening. Yeah, so I get review copies as well. um, And I... I, I wouldn't do either of what you've just said. Um, it can be kind of difficult sometimes to write review because you obviously don't want to ruin it for people, but you want to write something substantial. You don't want to just say, it was good. Please <laughs> read it. I think it's great. You want to write something substantial, but without ruining it. So it can be mm-hmm. kind of difficult to get that balance right. Um, but I find I always sort of try to be kind to the author because I even before my book was published I always knew that I would if I was published that I would want some I would want people to sort of be kind to me so even when I don't enjoy a book I still try to find sort of positives about it Mm -hmm. Um, and I tend to never leave a one-star review because I feel like if it's one star then and I didn't enjoy it and I probably didn't finish reading it then there's just no point sort of leaving a review it's um 
the book obviously wasn't for me. Um, it wasn't going to be enjoyed by me and that's okay. And it's probably better not to review it rather than just to sort of post a, a horrible review because that's somebody's time and effort and they've gone through so many steps to get it published as well. Mm -hmm. I mean, most likely, you know, they've probably queried it with agents and finally got their yes and then queried it with publishers. You know, it's gone on such a long journey um, to just sort of, you know, read it quickly and then just say everything that was bad about it. It, yeah, it doesn't really sit right with me. Right. Um, so I always try to give an even review. And mm -hmm. when I'm looking at other people's reviews of books that I like or didn't like, I tend to look at the sort of three to four stars because mm -hmm. I find those people are the most honest and the most sort of willing to sort of like discuss the book a bit more. Right. Um, and yeah, their, their opinions aren't extreme one way or the other. Although it is always nice when you really like a book and you just see other people gushing over it and you're like, yeah, no, I felt that way too. Mm -hmm. You know, actually that's, you're right. There's that third category and I actually didn't see it quite as much or maybe it didn't bother me as much, but that was another thing. I did see there were some reviews that were just like 100% gushy, gushy, gushy. And my instinct was to actually, as you say, not really trust that. I'm like, well, you're, you're, maybe you're friends with the author or maybe you just like the author's writing. And, you know, I don't understand why. And so the funny thing is, in, in one review I did, after having seen all that, I was like, I wrote all, I mean, there was all this cool stuff that I really appreciated. And it's a little bit like, maybe like what you're doing and I will need to check out your reviews. It wasn't developmental edits, but it was more like an insightful writer's perspective on what I thought worked really well from the writer's perspective. And so I wasn't just surface layer, I like it. It was like dive deep and explain a little bit why. But I, there was this one thing that had stood out to me in the book that had caught my attention and surprised me along the way. And I'm like, you know, it could be seen as a bit of a negative. I'm going to put that in at the end or somewhere just because that way someone isn't going to think that I'm a pure gusher and then sort of blow me off. I was like, I want to appear balanced so that someone will actually believe what I said initially, which I truly believed. And have it not come across as just overly gushy. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah, no, totally. Because, um, I mean, I tend to even just, you know, round up my rating. And, uh, um, you know, I, I always find there's at least one thing that I can sort of say, well, maybe it could have done this better or that better. And it's not really me sort of criticizing the book. It's just me sort of wanting to think about the book a bit deeper or perhaps what I would have done if I wrote it or if I was working on it as an editor um so yeah I like to in include sort of both sides even for books that I really really enjoy absolutely absolutely so how many reviews do you do a month uh so I'm kind of a slow reader um when I'm when I get going I probably will do um a purple review once every other week mm -hmm. um but then obviously, because, you know, I'm I'm writing, I've also got a day job and, you know, mm -hmm. kind of just moved house and stuff and I've been kind of busy. So I haven't been able to do it for a while. Um, but I think, yeah, I try to read about 14 books a year if I can. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For, for personal pleasure. These are like for you. 
Yeah, because I mean, I do read other books. I read a lot of like um, medical sort of trade books about their like uh, doctors' professions and stuff, and I find that kind of interesting. And (laughs) I don't review those; I just tend to review young adult fantasy Mm because that's where I, you know, like to be a bit more critical and switch my brain on a bit more. You know, I've got Um, this really amazing author I've interviewed twice, and I will probably have her on again in twenty twenty two. I will get you her information. I'm I'm going to see if I can find it during the interview, but um. Boy, if you are interested in a person who is a doctor working actively in the field and is producing nonfiction books that have a phenomenal way of taking really important topics that relate to how like doctors and patients can more healthfully and successfully interact and then breaking them down and just, I look at this woman and I'm like, she's a doctor practicing. She's a mother. She lives in New York on Ambulance Alley. And she writes these books. Uh, It's one of those people where, you know, come on, we all know those people that just make us so think I'm doing half with my life what I could do. Like, why am I like doing so little, even though we feel like we're busy every hour of every day? Oh, my gosh, this woman's phenomenal. I'll have to get it to you if you enjoy reading those types of books. Oh, yeah, definitely. It sounds really, yeah, it sounds great. I mean, in my day job, I work with a lot of um, authors, uh, well, surgeons um who are writing sort of medical professional books with us and I have had the opportunity to even work on um one book which is more of a diary um of his journey sort of during COVID and I found that so fascinating to work on so yeah I'm definitely interested yes okay you know what I am on my homepage, people there's a good chance for me to mention if you have um, joined us partway through and you missed the beginning of this awesome interview with Samantha Cook, who goes by Sam, yay, um, about about everything, her book, The Clearing, and reviews, and how she got her ideas and all this, um, if you missed the beginning, you can always go to marchtwisdale.com. And if you're doing what I'm doing right now on the homepage, you'll see me, and then you just sort of scroll down. And it says, Prose, Poetry, and Purpose, Guest Authors, and bada-boom, there are the photos of all the amazing authors who have come on the show over the past seven and a half years now. And I'm going to scroll down until I see her. Danielle Ofri, I didn't even find her yet, but I just remembered her name. That's who it is. Danielle Ofri. There she is. O-F-R-I. And Danielle has two L's in it. So honestly... Anytime you're looking for some amazing inspiration, my guest authors are like sort of guaranteed to be phenomenally amazing people because they have succeeded at getting published. And that takes something. You have to really believe in yourself and believe in your mission, your message, your idea. These people are amazing. But there she is. Yes. And you can get her podcast right there at marchtwisdale.com. So if people want to take a look at your reviews or learn more about you. Folks, I'm going to sort of spell it out for you a little bit. It's S as in Sam. So that's easy to remember. And then cookie. We all like to eat cookies. And then um, reviews with an S. And here's where it gets a little strange if you're from the U.S. It's a dot C-O dot U-K. And when you go to marchtwisdale.com and you look up Samantha Cook, because you want to listen to the rest of her show, you'll find also her bio and the bio will include a link to the website. Right, Sam? Yep. All right, cool. Okay, great. So people will know how to find you and they can learn more about this book, uh, future 
of books that you do. I am curious, though, what is the takeaway sort of relevancy message that you are hoping that your readers are going to gain when they read The Clearing? What, what's, what's the takeaway message that just maybe resonates with them as they're walking through their life? Yeah, I think um, Ruby, her her journey is sort of like the takeaway. Um, there's a lot of things being forced on her in her society. And it's not that she doesn't want those things. It's that she just doesn't want to have them forced on her. She wants to experience more of life first. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I think it's that journey of trying to make your own decisions when sort of society has other ideas for you. Absolutely. I mean... It can, it has been said recently, I've seen this conversation going on a lot in the world right now, um, that our autonomy, our human right to decide for ourselves is sort of the source of life in a way. I had someone say, if you take away autonomy, that's what happens when you put someone in prison. So even if they're out and about supposedly free, if their decisions are being coerced, how how good of a quality of life do they actually have if they're just doing what they're being told they have to do? Is that sort of where you were going with that, that basically Ruby just can't, you mentioned she couldn't really fall in love with her love interest because everyone wanted her to, but when they stopped trying to force it on her, she was able to actually see him more clearly. Yeah, so there, there is that, that, yeah, that she has that sort of forced on her. And then it's only when she manages to sort of challenge and break free of that, that she realizes that, you know, she can fall in love and it's her decision. It's not somebody else's. Um, and yeah, and, it, and I was also listening to what you're saying about being in a prison. And like the whole idea of this book is that they're sort of cut off from society and, you know, they're, they're living their life and it's perfectly fine. Um, but they're sort of stuck they're still stuck in that small little environment. Um, And yeah, the book is quite a bit about how Ruby just wants to break free of that environment and see what else is out there. Right, right. So it sounds like you're almost on the cusp between dystopian and utopian, because I think utopian is usually trying to suggest that, well, utopian can sometimes say, this is a great way to live and everything's wonderful. But there's also that fine line of the benevolent dictator, right? Yeah, so I think there is a bit of that where the um, the the village thinks it's doing what it must to sort of protect everybody, um, but to me that yeah that's still very much dystopian because um, dictating what people do and telling them that you know it's you've got to do this so that you can survive that's not that's not entirely you know a good life. Yeah, even if you're just alive, it's not good enough. Right, right, quality quality versus sheer quantity. Yeah. Yeah. Sam, thank you so much for joining me on Prose, Poetry, and Purpose today. Well, thanks for having me. Absolutely. And you have a wonderful day over there on your side of the Atlantic. Oh, thank you.